And one additional reason I want to note for why the experiences of people in marginalized communities could be different is unawareness. When you are unaware of the plight of people from specific communities and how it impacts their experiences and outcomes, then creating equity initiatives or processes for the purpose of leveling the playing field or even finding ways to dismantle unjust systems that make it harder for people to succeed, those won't even be on your radar of things to do or consider. Welcome to Inclusion and Marketing, the show that's all about helping you uncover the skills and insights you need to win the attention, adoration, and loyalty of more consumers and talent, especially those with differences that are often ignored by brands. I'm your host, Sonia Thompson, an inclusive brand coach, strategist, and someone with a lot of differences. Let's get to it. wondered what unicorns eat for breakfast or maybe what they use to keep their skin looking so flawless. Well, even though I don't know these answers, I can tell you something equally as interesting and unicorn related. Over 20% of all unicorn startups are using HubSpot and for good reason. HubSpot's all-in-one platform levels up your sales, software, and support so you can grow beyond your wildest dreams, boosting leads and ramping sales along the way. They even have a constantly evolving collection of resources to help startups scale. Plus, with HubSpot for Startups program, you can save up to 90% off your first year. I'll admit it does sound too good to be true, but unlike that majestic and also incredibly fictitious unicorn, HubSpot for Startups is all real. To see if you're eligible to save on HubSpot and take your growth to new heights, visit HubSpot.com startups. All right, I do want to give you some advance notice. In this episode, I cover some tough topics, including maternal mortality rates. So if that's something that will put you in a bad way, feel free to skip to the second half of this episode or skip it altogether. I want to make sure you keep your mind right. When I got pregnant with Luna, Jonathan and I were still living in Argentina. So the entire pregnancy and ultimately her delivery happened in Buenos Aires. Throughout pregnancy, there are plenty of emotions that you go through. And one of the ones I remember having to manage was limiting my intake of information about the mortality rate associated with childbirth. Now, it seems like an odd thing to think about, especially at such a blissful time in your life. And it was blissful for me, for sure. But unfortunately, as a Black woman, it's something that I was keenly aware of. According to the CDC, in the U.S. in 2020, for women overall, there were 23.8 maternal deaths for every 100,000 live births. But when you zero in on this number by demographic, there's a clear outlier in the data. When you look at the maternal mortality for Black women, it's nearly double that of the national average, at 55.3 deaths for every 100,000 live births. Now, the U.S. already has a high maternal mortality rate, especially when you compare it to other high-income countries. One data report showed that while the U.S. sits at 23.8 deaths per 100,000 live births, other countries like UK, Canada, France, Korea, Netherlands, and Japan, 12 other countries in this data set in particular range from 1.2 
to 13.6 in comparison. Now, as mentioned, the numbers in this regard for the U.S. are quite high, but the numbers are downright alarming, specifically when you look at it for Black women in the U.S. Now, for my own personal situation, I was thankful to be giving birth to Luna in Argentina. My entire care experience from start to finish was a dream, even though we had to make adjustments in the last month because the pandemic hit. But this isn't a case where I want to say, hey, I was okay, so let me not care about the glaring issue that impacts others. That's how problems persist. I bring this topic up on the podcast today to shed light on the fact that as marketers and business leaders, there are often instances where the experiences of people who are part of marginalized communities are often different from the experiences of the masses. In a lot of instances, those discrepancies in experience aren't talked about very much. But if we look at the data, we see a different story. In the U.S., we know that in the healthcare industry, there are definitely differences in the quality of care based upon race. And there's plenty of data to support that. One 2016 study Here's the actual title of it, Racial Bias in Pain Assessment and Treatment Recommendations and False Beliefs About Biological Differences Between Blacks and Whites was published in Psychological and Cognitive Sciences. The research showed that half of medical students believe there are biological differences between Black and white people, and those beliefs impacted how they treated patients. Here's the abstract of that study. It's it's medical, so stick with me here. It's important. Black Americans are systematically undertreated for pain relative to white Americans. We examine whether this racial bias is related to false beliefs about biological differences between blacks and whites. For example, black people's skin is thicker than white people's skin. Study one documented these beliefs among white laypersons and revealed that participants who more strongly endorse false beliefs about biological differences reported lower pain ratings for a black versus a white target. Study 2 extended these findings to the medical context and found that half of a sample of white medical students and residents endorsed these beliefs. Moreover, participants who endorsed these beliefs rated the black versus white patients' pain as lower and made less accurate treatment recommendations. Participants who did not endorse these beliefs rated the black versus white patients' pain as higher but showed no bias in treatment recommendations. These findings suggest that individuals with at least some medical training hold and may use false beliefs about biological differences between blacks and whites to inform medical judgments, which may contribute to racial disparities in pain assessment and treatment. To be clear, there should be no race-based disparities in either the experience or patient outcomes in healthcare treatment. There's no medical basis for it. Here's what one nurse I talked to on the topic had to say. I'm just trying to think of a disease where the race matters. But I will say for the majority of the things, majority of the disease processes or whatever, when a patient comes in, their race has nothing to do with what's happening. If you twisted your ankle, what does you being Black have to do with your ankle being broken? Nothing. But as far as medicine and healthcare and how we treat people, it should not be at the forefront at all. Race should not impact treatment or outcomes in healthcare. 
but the data in various forms shows that it does. Now, this discrepancy in outcomes isn't just limited to the realm of healthcare. In 2021, beauty retailer Sephora published the results of a comprehensive research study they'd commissioned entitled The Racial Bias in Retail Study. I'll link it up in the show notes in case you're interested in digging into the full 17-page report. It's super well done and it's fascinating. In this study, which was industry-wide from a retail standpoint, they found that three in five retail shoppers have experienced discriminatory treatment. Two in five have personally experienced unfair treatment on the basis of their race or skin color. And three in five retail employees have actually witnessed bias at their place of work. This bias doesn't just impact consumers. It extends to retail employees as well. The study showed that one in three retail employees have contemplated quitting when they experienced racial bias and unfair treatment. In response to the report, Jean-André Rougeau, CEO and president of Sephora Americas, reiterated that diversity, inclusion, and equity are a core part of their mission and values. He also acknowledged that racial bias was at the core of a number of negative customer experiences for diverse shoppers. I found this quote from him particularly important. But the reality is that the retail experience is not always inclusive to all. The very real issue of underlying racial bias remains a barrier to ensuring that all of our clients enjoy the sense of belonging we strive to foster. So there's race-based disparities in outcomes in healthcare. There's race-based disparities in outcomes in treatment in retail. There's race-based and gender-based disparities in outcomes in venture capital. A 2022 report by the nonprofit firm Diversity VC showed that only 1.87% of $31 billion worth of venture capital funds had been allocated to startups with diverse leaders. Sarah Miller, Chief Operating Officer of Diversity VC, talked a bit about the findings in the report, saying, What we found was that VC-backed startups were still disproportionately men at 89.3%, White at 71.6%, based in Silicon Valley, 35.3%, and Ivy League educated, 13.7%. She also noted that the data had hardly changed in two years. That's in particular after the data was reported in the height of summer 2022, where many industries, venture capital included, pledged their commitment to doing better with regards to diversity and inclusion. Race-based and, in this case, gender-based disparities are rampant, and these are in areas where we have data. But what about the disparities that exist in lesser-studied industries, but that still impact plenty of people? This happens at both the consumer level, the employee level, and the provider level. When I say provider, I'm really meaning the person who is providing product or services, so I think the entrepreneur, freelancer level. A while back, I chatted with Megan Williams, who heads the Black freelance community. She told me that one of the reasons she started the community was to talk about and get answers to common freelance questions that were specific to Black people and other people of color, such as, should you include a photo of yourself on your LinkedIn profile or your website? Here's her talking about that issue in particular. When I first started freelancing, you know, you're out there, you're learning about things, and I started... um, Running into just some general questions, like one of the things that people you will hear a lot of just mainstream freelancers advise people is to post your picture online. So I started doing that and I noticed that in a couple and maybe actually two specific situations, you know, we were having really good back and forth. People seemed excited. 
and I saw them check my LinkedIn and all of a sudden they disappeared. And my LinkedIn didn't say anything different than my website. So, you know, that question is in my head. It's like, is this because I'm black? And it might not have been, you know, I didn't know. But what it made me realize is that I had no one to go to to ask that kind of question. It made me realize not only that there was a need for a site for black freelancers, but that actually made me realize that. But then as more as I started to build the site and started listening to more people's freelance stories, and that's any freelancer, white, black, Asian, Hispanic, whatever, I started to notice how their businesses were shaped by their networks and the cultural experiences they were having. Okay. Um, and it made me realize that people's freelancers' experience are not, you know, culturally neutral. Everyone is having everyone's experience is shaped by something bigger than themselves so that we needed to start paying attention or like I wanted to start paying attention to, you know, how black freelancers careers are shaped by their cultural experiences. And in the world of coaching, there are plenty of unconscious biases that black and other service providers of color have to navigate through that many of their peers from the dominant group do not. Popular business coach Jerisha Hawk went into great detail about this in one of her reels on Instagram. I'll link to it in the show notes in case you want to have a look. All right, so we'll get into why so many experiences are different from people from marginalized communities right after this short break. Okay, I've got another podcast recommendation for you. It's Latinx in Power, hosted by Thaisa Fernandez. It's brought to you by the HubSpot Podcast Network, the audio destination for business professionals. Latinx in Power is a podcast that features interviews with top-level executives, entrepreneurs, and innovators from Latin America, aiming to demystify the tech industry by providing listeners with insider perspectives and insights from Latin American leaders who have succeeded in their fields. I recently listened to the episode, The Power of Storytelling in Business with Andrea Marquez, and I really, really enjoyed it. You often hear me talking about the importance of diversifying your circle of influence, and this podcast is one that will really help you do that by hearing different perspectives about some of your favorite topics. Listen to Latinx in Power wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, let's talk a bit about why these experiences are different for people from marginalized communities. I've already alluded to a few of them, but let's call them out specifically. First up is privilege. We all have some degree of privilege, and I'm definitely not saying that privilege is a bad thing, but we do need to acknowledge that privilege exists, and in many cases, it does impact the degree of success a person can achieve as well as the time and effort required to achieve that degree of privilege. Using the venture capital example, a man who went to an Ivy League college has baked in privilege that increases the likelihood that he'll achieve funding for a startup than a woman or a woman of color who would achieve that funding, even if she also went to Ivy League universities. We have to start acknowledging privilege and the role that it plays in the outcomes that people you serve achieve. Another factor that is at play is bias, both conscious, which we don't often hear too much about, and unconscious. Using the healthcare example, if medical professionals believe unconsciously that Black people have a higher tolerance for pain, the data shows they undertreat them when it comes to pain management, which of course leads to worse outcomes. Now, I included conscious bias here because even though I want to believe in the good of everyone and that no one is intentionally doing anything to cause another person harm, I also don't want to be so naive as to not acknowledge that sometimes people are aware of their biases and lean into acting in accordance with those beliefs. 
Another reason why there are disparities in both the treatment and success of underrepresented and underserved communities are because of negative stereotypes people may have in mind with regards to them. Let's take the negative stereotype that exists that Black people are lazy. By the way, I'm not just pulling this one out of the air. I'm going to drop a link to an academic paper that discusses this stereotype in particular, where it originated, and how it has been perpetuated for generations. I will drop that for you in the show notes. So if you held the belief that Black people were lazy and then saw a freelancer you were considering working with was Black, that belief could cause you to either decide not to work with them, it could cause you to decide to try to pay them less if you did decide to work with them, or to make them jump through additional hoops to work with you that maybe wouldn't be required of someone with a different identity. And one additional reason I want to note for why the experiences of people in marginalized communities could be different is unawareness. When you are unaware of the plight of people from specific communities and how it impacts their experiences and outcomes, then creating equity initiatives or processes for the purpose of leveling the playing field or even finding ways to dismantle unjust systems that make it harder for people to succeed, those won't even be on your radar of things to do or consider. No bueno. It's really important for you to be aware of these disparities in your own industry and brand. Why? Because when you know that groups of customers receive different types of outcomes, you can then actively work to build products, services, experiences, and processes that directly address those problems within your own business. I worked with one client a while back, a healthcare system who noticed that the Black community as a whole was experiencing more COVID-related complications and was also getting vaccinated at lower rates than other communities. So they worked to implement programming specifically focused on that community to engage them on the topic with the goal of helping them get better outcomes and stay healthy. In addition, as you work to level the playing field for the people you serve in your business, you can also expand your efforts to do the same in your industry at large. For instance, I was a part of the Shine Bootcamp for some years, first as a participant and then as a coach. Shine was all about closing the gender disparity among conference speakers on stages. So they created a comprehensive program designed to equip more women as speakers. Other companies who supported the mission didn't have to go out and create their own program. They could simply join forces with the Shine team by sponsoring and or amplifying their work. You could do something similar. You don't always have to be the one spearheading an initiative within your industry to make positive change. You can advance the cause by supporting others who are already on the ground doing the work. Okay, so hopefully by now you understand that just because you create products, services, and experiences with the intent for all the people you serve to achieve success, there are often other factors that are at play. Independent of what you produce that impact the degree of success, people, particularly from marginalized communities, achieve. Because you're listening to this show, I'll bet you're not someone who's just going to say, hey, that's too bad, and keep moving. You're more interested in figuring out a way to create solutions for these challenges. So how do you go about doing this? The first step is in taking the time to identify specifically how the journeys related to your brand differ based upon the different identities of the people you serve. And once you have an awareness of those differences, then it becomes clear to identify ways to address the differences in both the journeys and the outcomes. 
To help you with that, I'm holding a live workshop on Friday, February 24th, 2023 at 12 p.m. Eastern called How to Build Experiences that Make Underrepresented and Underserved Consumers and Talent Feel Like They Belong. If you can't make a live, no worries. Go ahead and get registered and I will send you the recording. You can get registered at listentothem.co. There you'll also find the Listen to Them seven episode special podcast series I recently released. It's episodes 38 through 44 in the Inclusion and Marketing podcast feed, where you'll hear directly from Black talent and consumers about their experiences at work and as consumers. It's a great primer for the workshop I mentioned and also underscores a lot of what I talked about in this episode today and so much more. That's it for today's episode. Remember, go to listentothem.co to get registered for the workshop and to listen to those episodes if you haven't done so already. It'll enable you to take the next step forward with the concepts covered in this week's show. Until next time, remember, everyone deserves to have a place where they belong. Let's use our individual and collective power to ensure more people feel like they do. Thanks so much for listening. Talk to you soon.